I would, I would encourage you today, this is a challenge for all of us, but each one of us have so much going on in our lives. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the ability to focus for the next few minutes on his word and not be distracted by all the things you have to do or all the pressing issues in your life. And even as I share, you keep going over and over what that means to you because of your situation in the sense of you get more focused on the situation than you are what the word's actually saying. It's easy to not listen when someone's talking because we've trained ourselves to do that all our lives. We did it with teachers, right? And if you have a background in, in church, you probably have done it to a lot of pastors. So we're good at it. We're good at shaking our heads at the right time. We're good at, you know, at the end of the meeting going, good job, until you ask somebody, oh, what was the message about? Uh, well, I just know it was really good. So let's ask the Lord to help us, okay? Because we're living in a fallen world, and we have so many temptations to think about so many other things rather than getting the revelation the Lord's spirit word for us today. So let's pray. Father, we do ask you to send your Holy Spirit today. And throughout this time in the word, I just pray you will fill us and fill us and fill us with your spirit and so overwhelm us with these truths that we indeed can think of nothing else because Nothing else is better than this. Nothing else matters for eternity like this. So help us, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus. Well, we're in the first part of Romans 15. And just to bring you up to date a little bit on where we've been thus far, as we've gone through the entire book of Romans, just about, um, in Romans 8, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except love for each other. Wow. We could kind of stop there, couldn't we? In verse 9 of that chapter, it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says, What about the weak in faith? How are we supposed to deal with these people that don't have it all together? Well, he says, welcome them, gladly. Come on in. You're, you're amongst many who are weak, many who are strong, and everybody understands. And in verse 7 of that chapter, it says, none of us live to ourselves. Well, wait a minute. That's how most people in the world live. As a Christian, as a church, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. None of us, because we're called according to his purpose. We're bought with a price. None of us lives to ourselves. Are we tempted to? Of course. But here's what God's laying out for us so we know where to go and what God wants. In verse 13 of, that, of chapter 14, we are told not to pass judgment on one another any longer. In other words, <laughs> the church had been passing judgment, and Paul's like, okay, stop it. Never put a stumbling block 
in the way of our sisters and brothers. And that's so specific and so helpful to know how to handle situations that we go through in the church. In verse 19, it says, pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding and encouragement. Now, of course, in Romans, we covered so much else, but you can see the pattern here throughout these chapters. And it really is something that God wants to be very clear, and Paul was hoping would be very, very clear. And what is that? The others, others are the focus, not ourselves. And this is, this is a total reorientation of our world and how we grew up and how we think and how our world thinks and what it means to be a Christian, to be others-focused, not self-focused. Our entire culture now is teaching everyone to be self-sufficient, to be autonomous, to um, only care about, it's a matter what anybody thinks, you just be yourself and you do you know, whatever is your authentic self and it doesn't matter what it is, you can do anything, godly or sinful, just be yourself. And Paul's saying, no, that's not Christianity. And as I read through these things, I would think, you agree with me, right? Aren't these things that we all want? I mean, would any of us say, no, I am going to live my, for myself for the glory of God. Now, we believe these things, and we really wouldn't want to live any other way. We really wouldn't. But do we live differently? I can't say about you, but I know me. There are many times I live much differently. So, to, so today, Paul is continuing to make his case and approaches the same idea of being others-oriented from a different perspective. So let's look at Romans 15. And instead of having somebody read for us, how about if you read out loud with me, okay? And again, let's just take our time. We'll read slow and we'll all say this in unison. Verse one, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who you who reproached you, sorry, fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be one voice you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs 
and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And just stop for a minute. What he's saying there is it had always been up until the time of the new covenant of Christ coming on the scene that all the things of God were for primarily for the Jewish people. A radical shift is happening. The Gentiles, which is who? Us, are being included. You were once out, <laughs> and now you're in by the work of Christ on the cross. It's amazing. And so, what's the, resp- what's the response? Well, he starts quoting from the Old Testament. He goes on, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. His people being the Jews, us being the Gentiles. This is Old Testament, and he's telling them way back then, which was unthinkable at the time. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. This is like the best news a Gentile can hear. The Gentiles, us, that want the kingdom of God, it's now the door's been opened to us. So let's think through this passage a little bit. We start with the fact that we all agree, we believe the Word of God. We believe that what Paul just wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't just trying to come up with a good talk and he had some good ideas. Now, the Spirit of God, Bible's clear to us that Scripture was written this way. The Holy Spirit's speaking to a person and they're writing down what he says. So, basically, what this is, is God revealing himself to us. Scripture is the revelation of God to his people. He's telling you how he thinks, what's important, who he is, all of Scripture from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. Now, I don't know about you, but there's for me a a chasm, (laughs) huge chasm that's way too big for me to handle. And as much as I try, I, I can't in my own strength make the switch from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And as you know, I'm 70 years old now, and I, I just, I've been, I've been a Christian, oh my, long time, <laughs> over 60 years, and I'm grateful for that. But I can't still, I still can't, just hear something or just read something and go, oh, yeah, that's the way I want to live, and then just do it for the rest of my life. I experience the goodness of God, and then many times I fail, 
I repent, I experience it again, and it's amazing how God gives us the ability to obey. So you're not depending on your own willpower to obey. Instead, you're depending on the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to obey Him. As the Scripture says, He gives us the strength to serve. We don't do that because we're good people. We don't do that because we're trying to earn some sort of points with God that might kind of, you know, balance out all the bad stuff that we do. And we're experiencing as Gentiles and have the exact same thing the Jews experienced. Not just in the fact that the good news has been open to us, but the Jews could never live up to the law. They could never do it all. Why? Because the law, the Bible says, is perfect. They could never attain that, no matter how much they tried. And you know what? We can't live up to the requirements and demands of the new covenant because that is also perfection. So what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Go ahead, Danny. I'm just doomed (laughs) from the very beginning. There's no way. I mean, a lot of us like to say things. Well, I'm not perfect, but it's really true. We're not perfect. So what do we do? Well, we don't do anything. God does something. He gives us Christ, who is perfect. Think of that. You are clothed in the righteousness of the perfect Son of God. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness and the perfection of Christ. Oh, Lord, what's it going to take for us to look in the mirror and see the same thing God does? It just, it just doesn't seem right. Look yourself in the mirror and say, I am perfect. Because everything inside you screams, no, you're not. And the enemy brings back to you all the things you've done wrong in great detail. Why? That is the, the voice of the tormentor, the voice of the deceiver. That is not When you start feeling all that guilt and shame for sins that have been forgiven, sins you've repented of and God has forgiven you, you are not listening to the Holy Spirit anymore. It's so important we understand what voice we're listening to. Jesus told his disciples, my sheep will know my voice. We need to know the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit, what he does and doesn't say. He never condemns. He never introduces doubt to your mind. He never shames. He never burdens you with with guilt. He doesn't remember your sins anymore. How could he remind you of your sins? He doesn't even have an account, a record of your sin. That record has been blotted out, it's illegible, by the blood of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, I get up. (laughs) These truths, they're, they're just amazing because they're true. So it's 
My point of all this is, it's so important that we don't see what Paul's saying here today as just one more thing on the list of things we have to do to please God. That's not what Paul's trying to do. Why? Because there's no list. (laughs) Paul knows that. He called himself the chief of sinners. He knew that as much as he tried to fulfill the law, he couldn't do it. So he's not just trying to burden us with more and make you feel like, well, okay, I'll go out this week, Danny, and I'll try to live in harmony with others, and, and this week I'm going to try to not, you know, hold grudges about, you know, it, your trying isn't going to work, but what will work is the power of the Holy Spirit. That will work, and this is the, the good news of the gospel. You don't have to worry about being accepted by God. You don't have to worry about being loved by God. You know why? You are accepted, Why? Because he accepted his son's sacrifice on the cross, and we know he accepted it because he raised Christ from the dead in three days, and so he now is ours. Our, we are his, and we will be resurrected just like him to validate that this was actually the work of God. When you may have people all around you that say you're a hypocrite and say this and that, God's going to get the last word, and you will rise from the dead. You will be resurrected just like Christ was. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, when you think about your troubles today, which, my goodness, this world, I don't want to minimize your troubles. Mine, sometimes I feel like they're going to take, take me over. I, I'm just overwhelming. But regardless of my problems today, regardless of the depth of my sin, I can repent. And regardless of how bad it is right now, the truth is what we look forward to is not a future of despair. We read the paper. We listen to people and their opinions and, and, and the politicians and, and everything is doom and the earth is going to be destroyed in just a few years and it's all over for everyone. No. No, you're going to be resurrected. God will have the final word. Not the scientists. I'm, I'm not against science. Don't misread me there. But science will not have the last word. Politicians will not have the last word. Doesn't matter who the president is to some degree. Because God is sovereign. And God is in control. So what we have here in Romans 15 are just some guidelines. They're not, you have to do this to be loved by God. There's some guidelines. Because as a Christian, we want the kingdom of God. But what does that mean? Okay, I want the kingdom of God. What, is, what do I do next? I don't know. Do I try to be godly? Do I go to church every Sunday? Do I give money? Is that what well, he's fleshing out for us, as all the scripture does, what it means to live our lives for the glory of God. He's showing us what it looks like for us to trust him above ourselves. He's, he's showing us what it looks like to live for others and not ourselves. So we know what's really going on, so we know how, what to resist and what to respond to 
and embrace. What's clear is none of us can do this in our own. So let's, let's just prove that from Scripture. Look at 2 Peter 1 with me. Oh my goodness, this is so good. His divine nature has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that everything you want? Everything you need? He granted us. What's a grant? It's a gift, right? You don't have to pay back a grant. You get a grant. He grants you something. He's giving you something. What did he give you? Everything. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us, there it is again, as his precious and very precious, I mean, very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's where we're going. That's what your troubles are about today, is partaking of the divine nature. Read the life of Christ, and you'll see yourself there. The sorrow, the pain, the hurt, the persecution, the bullying, the ridicule, whatever. We are participating, we are partaking, I should say, of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We escape that as his beloved children. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So we do work, and we work hard. We are making every effort. It's everything, all the strength that we have. That's why I believe God grants us sleep. We just need it, don't we? Especially if you're living for God. (laughs) You need sleep. You need that time for your whole body to process everything that's happening to you. And then one last scripture real quick. Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Folks, let's not listen to Romans 15 or anything that's been said in Romans and create a new law. A law is a death trap. There's no future in the law. So in verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. We die to the law so that we can live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. You might say, how did that dying happen? Well, you kind of feel like you're on the cross sometimes, don't you? I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the perfect one, who lives in me. You know, this is something as I've lived life and times I've had of rebellion and disobedience and just, you know, resistance to the things of God. And I remember one of the first times the Lord brought to my mind, you know, while you were doing that, 
I was right there. <laughs> it's like, whoa. <laughs> Most sin happens when you think no one's looking and no one knows. We do things we think, ah, you know, it's not hurting anybody. Um, obviously, God doesn't strike me dead when I do it, so must be okay. No, he's right there. The crucified, risen Lord by his spirit is right there with you in the midst of your rebellion. But what does he do? He doesn't reject you, does he? He draws you to himself. And again, this is an example of how we treat others. They sin against you. How do we treat them? Well, we get online and we start tearing apart? No. We shun them and say, well, I'll never have you in my house again. And even if you go to my church, I'm going to sit on the other side. No. God didn't do that to you. So what do we do? We do what God does for us. That's the, for me, the easiest reference to how I'm to live or especially treat others. Just treat others like God treats you. So think about it. Think, okay, when I do this to you, Lord, how do you treat me? And then you do the same thing. It's really pretty simple. (laughs) It's not complicated. I mean, we have some great theologians in this church, but you don't have to have a great ability to remember all the nuances of theology, although that is a gift to the church, and we esteem it highly. You don't need that to live for Christ. Just do to others as he already does to you, not just as you would want others to do, but how he actually treats you, treat them differently. Now, in verse 1, it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So all I just said, please keep that in mind as we're reading this. So here's given some really good guidelines. There are some of us who are strong. There are some of us who are weak. Those who do see the weakness are to bear with, and we'll look at that in a minute, the failings of the weak, and that we are not, not, not to please ourselves. Now you say, wow, that, that kind of sounds selfish to me. Here I am, I walk around the church, and I'm strong. And I look at you and go, man, is he weak? He didn't have it together. He, I learned that years ago. You know, what's taking you so long? We're judging. Or it's so easy to judge, I just say. I'm not trying to accuse you. And so you ask the question, Lord, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand. It, it seems wrong to me to be the one that even makes that kind of judgment. Who, who among us is going to say, oh, well, I'm really, straight, uh, really strong, so I'm going to deal with your failings. That just sounds wrong. And you say, well, are you questioning Scripture? Are you questioning God? And I would say, you know what? It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to ask God sometimes really terrible questions. 
questions that you really have that we normally be afraid to even let out the words of our mouth. God's okay with that. You know, some of my best memories of parenthood and now grandparenthood is walking through life with my children as they face things at whatever age they were, being right there, walking through that, coaching them, exhorting them, encouraging them, catching them do things right. And I say that because when my kids did really horrible things, God gives the example for us to treat them like he treats us. So I would say God enjoys it when you ask hard questions. God likes hard questions. You know what? The reason why is because that means you're thinking. God doesn't want just a bunch of mindless Christians that just, whatever Chris says, whatever Mike's going to say next week, whatever Shane says, okay, our pastor said it, so I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to do it. We have always challenged you as a church. Don't believe us because we say it. What? Yeah. Study for yourself. And if we're wrong, tell us. Or if you have a question, ask the question. Because it is easy to miscommunicate. It is easy to say things that aren't accurate biblically. So what do we do? We work through those things together without intimidation, without fear. That's what families do. They work things through. God is not intimidated by your questions. So I'm asking a question. God, isn't this, doesn't this sound selfish? And then I saw the clarifier in the verse. And the answer to whether or not selfish is the last four words. Not to please ourselves. Selfishness is when we please ourselves. When we are not pleasing ourselves, we're not doing something that's selfish. Does that make sense? So Paul's saying here, and he says elsewhere, even about himself, he said, if I were still trying to please man, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. So it's not that we don't care what other people think, as the world's teaching us, but what others think is important to us because we love them and because we're trying to please them. We're thinking about them, not just ourselves. So what does it mean to bear with others as we just read? Well, one commentator, Ellicott, said, bearing infirmities, and think about this because some of these are old quotes and <laughs> the words are not quite familiar to us. Bearing infirmities is acting as if they were our own. And at the same time, by our sympathy, relieve the consciousness, consciences of the weak. So what it means to bear your burden is to take it on myself like it's my burden. The Bible says to bear each other's burdens, share each other's joy. I saw Lisa Fitzgerald this morning. I was just so effective. Folks, for, if you don't know, and I hope you don't mind telling 
But for months, she has been months. She has been very, very sick. Not just not COVID, just other issues. And there are times I'd get updates from Charlie, and I just wonder, Lord, is she going to make it? And she's here today. Yes. Woo! Thank you, God. But you see, while she was sick. I was learning to take it on because I was studying this. I, I was learning to take it on and feeling what she's feeling, as we'll see in the next quote here by Benson. It's bearing with others in their feelings, not just, oh, Lord, you know, I find out Lisa's sick, and so, oh, Lord, heal her. No, I'm in it with her. And I'm thinking, what has she got to be feeling right now when she's experiencing these things? And I'm with her in this. And he goes on to say, consequent to their ignorance or weakness. So we're bearing with others in their feelings, consequent to their ignorance or weakness, and not to condemn or despise them. So when other Christians fail, it's not our place. Say, how could you? How could you do that? I thought you were a really good Christian. That's not bearing with others. It's not sharing in their feelings. It's not sharing through sympathy. It's, it's not taking it on ourselves. Now, you may not know the word consequent. I didn't. Not in this context. So I looked it up. Dictionaries are great, aren't they? And you know there's one that's my favorite, but I won't mention it. Consequent means this, not remembering or holding these weaknesses against them. So, according to their ignorance or their weakness, we are not holding these weaknesses against them. We are not remembering them. What's that sound like? Isn't that how God treats you? Exactly. And when he says them, despise them, you know what he's talking about? Talking about your wife, your husband, your children, your best friends, fellow church members, neighbors, even the world. How does God treat the unbeliever? Well, you may not know. How do he treat you? When you're not believing. Other times you have gone back on some of your beliefs. How does he treat you? Does he despise you? Does he remember those sins against you once you've repented? No, what does he do? He draws us to himself. He opens our eyes to see the sin so that we can repent and be free of that. And then he remembers it no more. So verse 2 says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The president of Princeton in the 1800s, Charles Hodge, he was also a theologian. He believed strongly in the authority of Scripture. Can you imagine having a president of Princeton today? that believes strongly in the authority of 
scripture that shows you how far we've come. Because Princeton and Yale and all those, those universities and colleges were begun by Christians for the sake of teaching the Word of God and teaching those who would then teach the Word of God. And now the Word of God is completely rejected in those institutions. Anyway, he said this, the law of love is to regulate our conduct. We are not simply to ask what is right in itself, but what is agreeable and also what is benevolent and pleasing to our brothers. So what we're looking for is not, well, Lord, what's the right thing to do? Because I want to be right. I want to do the good thing, even if they don't, which is self-righteousness. Instead, we're looking for what's agreeable. How much do you see that on Facebook today? Looking for what's agreeable. I would encourage you, if you're on Facebook and you're participating, we hear someone say something that you know is good, you know honors God. Catch them doing something right. Commend them. Because if they say something blasphemous, they're going to hear about it, right? Let's keep people encouraged. So we we're looking for what's benevolent or kind, what's pleasing to them. Now, verse 4 says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What this does is prove to us that everything's been written in Scripture is relevant for today. You know, a lot of modern-day Christians, they only read the New Testament. Why? The Old Testament's hard sometimes, right? You have to think about it. You have to study. You have to look up sometimes the Greek and Hebrew a little bit. You're like, ah, it's too much work. I'll just go to the Beatitudes. No, it's all there, folks. God revealing himself to you. All of it's there for your instruction for how to live. Verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Oh, that's what we want in the church. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Again, you do for others what he's done for you. Now, 8 through 13 kind of ends up being the response to what he's just said. And of course, you know, this was not split up to chapter and verse. So everything Paul has said up to now, he's going to put it all together and then even add to it next week when Mike preaches. Let's read them all together. I mean, all, all at one time rather than one by one. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and now he's going back to the Old Testament, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Rejoice, Gentiles. Rejoice us, right? And again, praise the Lord, 
all you Gentiles and let the peoples, us, extol him. The peoples, all the people throughout the earth who, have, who, who is, are alive today, all of us, rejoice, all of us, praise, all of us, exult in his greatness. In Isaiah, the root of Jesse will come. Who's the root of Jesse? Jesus. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So our response, we want to mimic this. Our response is this response. What is it? One simple word. Rejoice. We don't sit back and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's helpful. I'll, I'll think about that. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and it could be implied, and all peace in believing. That's where the key to all this is. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Where do we get this power from the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible is very clear. We're filled with the Spirit. Oh, yeah, you might say, I remember. I was seven, me, I was seven years old when, no, nine years old when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And God just totally blew me away. It was wonderful. No, I'm not talking about just then, as great as that was. I'm talking about today. I was... A unique experience this morning as the band gets ready. I was on my way in and I was listening to some songs and one of them was, and I knew my passion for the message was be filled with the Spirit because we want to live this way. Rejoice in what he's done for us. And I said, Lord, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I, I, I don't, I need it again and I don't want to be encouraging the church to do something I'm not doing. It's like heaven came down on my car. I had to pull off the side of the road. I couldn't drive. I was just, and I don't cry a lot, even though it looks like when I preach. I'm weeping. Just thinking about these things. And I got in the parking lot, finally. It took me a lot longer to get to work. Or get to church, rather. It used to be work. And I just sat in the car for another 10 minutes, just overwhelmed, 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 just receiving more and more of the Holy Spirit. And finally, he relented enough to let me come in. And I realized, Lord, if you'll do that for me, you'll do that for anyone who's willing today. So this is not a good Bible study today. This is not... Well, a good word for us to consider. This is a call to do the essential thing that we're all called to do, and that is yield yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not just going to sit there and, that's good. You're going to rejoice. 
because you can't contain it. You say, Danny, you're describing some sort of an emotional experience. I'm not trying to promote that at all. That's what he did for me. You have a different personality than I have. You have a different background than I have. You're going to respond differently. That's fine. We're not looking for externals. We're not looking around and saying, okay, are they being filled with the Spirit? Are, are they responding properly? Or are they be-? No. We're just being filled with the Spirit, and we want everybody to have it. And the result of that filling of the Holy Spirit is to rejoice. And Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Church, stand with me and let's rejoice. Again, not just some emotional building up, but know the truth that has set you free and respond to God in his greatness and his glory for what he has done. Amen?